Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, let's see. Do we start with prayer? Yeah, we'll start with prayer. Uh, Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for bringing us together today. Thank you for allowing us to celebrate Father's Day together. God, I pray that uh, our dads would feel celebrated and loved and appreciated today and every day. Thank you, Lord, for the fathers you've put in our lives. Uh, their love uh, is a shadow and a pointer to your love. Every good thing about dads points to you because you're our heavenly father. And that's one of the images you use to convey to us who you are to us. Lord, for those who um, have a father who has passed away, for those who today might be a difficult day, Lord, I pray that you will comfort them and help them. And uh, Lord, even though uh, there is a sadness that comes with uh, not having our fathers with us, there is also great joy that comes with remembering them. And so I pray, God, that today would be a day that uh, we remember the dads that uh, have passed away. We also uh, make sure the dads that are still with us know that we love them. We're thankful for them, Lord. Lord, you have something to say to us today. But Lord, I pray that we would listen to what that is. God, I pray that you would speak through me. And I pray, God, that through your word, we would draw closer to you today. We love you, Lord, but only because you love us first and you made that known to us. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 16. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 16. <clears throat> okay. So it says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, 
explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Well, today we're starting a new series, a short little series called The Renewing of Your Mind. We're going to be looking at our thoughts. We're going to be looking at our thinking patterns and we're going to be looking at what Paul means when he talks about renewing your mind. We're basing this series on Paul's, what he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So that's what we're going to be focusing on these next few weeks is renewing our minds. Did any of you watch the Super Bowl this year? Doesn't sound like many of you watched the Super Bowl. It was kind of a boring Super Bowl, so if you missed it, it's probably a good thing. But if you saw it, you got to see Tom Brady, who I'm sure you all know of, win his seventh NFL title, his seventh Super Bowl ring. That's pretty astounding. It's pretty, he's the only person who's ever done that, who's ever won seven. And soon after he won his seventh title, I saw an article online that went over Tom Brady's daily habits, what he does every day. So I thought, oh, well, that'd be kind of interesting to see what he does in a day. What's the first thing that Tom Brady does every day? He said that the first thing that Tom Brady does every day is he chooses his mindset for the day. And I thought, whoa, that's the first thing that he does is he chooses his mindset for the day? That's so different than me because typically I let the day decide my mindset. But he's different because he lets his mindset decide his day. And I'm sure I'm not alone. Isn't that true of all of us? We wake up and we say, well, I don't know how today is going to go, but we'll see what happens. What are we doing when we say that? We're saying, well, I'm going to let my mind be decided by my circumstances, by what happens to me. But no, he says, no, I'm going to determine my mindset at the starting of the day. And it's already decided no matter what happens to me throughout the day. The day doesn't decide his mindset. His mindset determines his day. Do you see the gigantic difference? Look, Tom Brady is not like everybody else. He has seven Super Bowl trophies. Why doesn't he look like everyone else? Why doesn't he live like everyone else? Because he doesn't think like everyone else. Do you see that? That's what Paul is saying in his verse. You may say, I don't care about winning a Super Bowl. I don't plan on being in the NFL. That's not why I'm telling you that. The reason I'm telling you that is to point out the fact that he doesn't look like the rest of the world because he doesn't think like the rest of the world. And that's what Paul says. Do not be conformed to this world. 
How would you be conformed to the image of this world if you thought like the rest of this world does? Paul says, no, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that's going to take active thinking on our part. Typically, our thinking is very passive. Oh, we'll see what happens throughout the day, and I'll let that decide my mind. No, we have to be active. It's hard to change our mindset. It's hard to change the way that we think, but it's so, so worth it. It's hard. When he talks about renewing your mind, what does it mean to renew something? It basically means to renovate something. No, you ever, whenever, whenever you watch Fixer Up or one of those type of shows, what are they doing? They're renovating the house. How do they do it? Do they just stand in front of the house and say, well, I'm sure it'll get renovated on its own. No, they get inside and they start hammering. They, they do hard work. Why? To renew it. To renovate it. And the Bible says your mind is precious. Your mind is more important than any house on any TV show that you could watch. It's worth working on. It's totally worth it. Greg Groeschel, who's a pastor in Oklahoma City, he says, we are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. You may think, it doesn't matter what I think. No, your life is always moving in the direction of what you're thinking, how you're thinking, why you're thinking it. Your thoughts are so important. That's why we're talking about them, and that's why Scripture talks about them. Let's not take our thoughts for granted. Let's get to work on our thoughts. Let's get to work on our mindset. So you might say, okay, yeah, my mind is worth working on, but, okay, if we're renovating a house, we have to start from the ground up. And Cody, I don't know what to think about. So if we're starting at the ground level, let's talk about that. What should we think about? What should be the source of our thoughts? What should be driving all of our thoughts throughout the day? Well, in our passage today, Paul shows us. Paul shows us what to think. And how does he do that? Well, he shows us, in our passage, he shows us what we need. He shows us why we need it. And he shows us how we get it. So those are our three sermon points today. What we need, why we need it, and how we get it. So first, let's look at what we need. What do we need? Well, look at look with me at verses 6 through 7. Paul says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare... God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So Paul immediately tells us what we need. And he says, what we need is not the wisdom of the world. What we need is not the wisdom of people. What we need is the wisdom of God. Okay, what does that even mean? Essentially, what he's saying is we don't need more of people's thoughts, more of people's opinions. No, we need God's thoughts. That's what we need. And why do we need more of God's thoughts? Well, so that they will become our thoughts. When we get God's thoughts, they can become our thoughts. I mentioned Greg Rochelle, who's a pastor in Oklahoma City, 
And uh, in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind, he talks about how growing up, he grew up uh, with a lot of insecurities about himself, a lot of negative thoughts. Even after becoming a pastor and preaching, he was always worried about what other people thought about him or about his sermons. Or he was always worried about any number of things that was basically causing his mind to become kind of what a lot of our minds are, toxic wastelands of negative thoughts. And so what he started doing was he started writing declarations that he would read out loud to himself every morning. And he said he doesn't do it every morning anymore, but he'll pull out these declarations and read them when he needs them. But think about it. He would read these for many, many years and say them out loud to himself. So I'm just going to read you his declarations that he would read out loud to himself. So he said, these are his declarations. Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify him. I will love my wife and I will lay down my life to serve her. I will raise my children to love God and serve him with their whole hearts. I will nurture, equip, train, and empower them to do more for the kingdom than they ever thought possible. I love people and believe the best about others. I am disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. I am growing closer to Jesus every day. Because of Christ, my family is closer, my body is stronger, my faith is deeper, my leadership is sharper. I am creative, innovative, driven, focused, and blessed beyond measure because the Spirit of God dwells within me. Money is not and never will be a problem for me. My God is an abundant provider who meets every need. Because I am blessed, I will always be a blessing. I will lead the way with irrational generosity because I know it's truly more blessed to give than to receive. I develop leaders. That's not something I do. It's who I am. Pain is my friend. I rejoice in suffering because Jesus suffered for me. I bring my best and then some. It's what I bring after I bring my best that makes the difference. The world will be better and different today because I served Jesus today. Imagine telling yourself that every single day. What would that do to your mind? It would transform it. It would renew it. It would change it. If you said that to yourself, what you say to yourself matters. Now, what do all of these declarations that he made, what do they all have in common? Well, they're all not based on what the world says about Craig. They're all based on what God says about Craig. Do you realize that? And they're, they're all based not on what the world says about you, but on what God says about you. He didn't just make things up. You know, he got them from God's word. That's what he based them on. And when Craig says these declarations out loud, what is he doing? He is thinking God's thoughts. All of those things that he declared, they're things that God already thinks about him. When he says them, what's happening? God's thoughts are becoming his thoughts. And those are the thoughts that we need. In Psalm 139, verse 17, David said this. David said, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. God, your thoughts are so precious to me. But... That verse in Hebrew can also be translated as, how amazing are your thoughts concerning me? God, how precious are your thoughts to me? God, how amazing it to me 
what you think about me. Look, what matters is not what the world thinks. And what matters is not what the world thinks about you. What matters is what God thinks. And what matters is what God thinks about you. Look, when you think what the world thinks, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to have the same cynicism, hopelessness, and despair that the world has. Do you realize that? But when you think what God thinks, you will have the same hope, the same peace, the same comfort, and the same excitement that we see Paul having in these verses. What do we need? We need God's thoughts, God's wisdom, God's mind and his mindset. But why do we need it? Well, look again at verse 6. In verse 6, he says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now, Paul has some pretty sharp words for the wisdom of this age and the rulers of this age. What does he say about them? He says they are coming to nothing. They're coming to nothing. What does that mean? It means that they won't last. They won't last. Now, why does he mention the rulers of this age? I can see why he mentions the wisdom of this age. Why does he say the rulers of this age won't last? Well, think about how much we're influenced by our rulers. Think about how much times we turn off our brain because we say, our rulers have it figured out. They'll figure out what's best for me. They know what's best. And Paul says, hey, if the rulers really know what's best, would they have crucified the Lord of glory, Jesus? No, they wouldn't have. Paul is not making an excuse for them. Paul is raising a red flag to alert us, hey, we shouldn't just blindly follow the, our leaders or the people who are influential in our society and let them decide what to think for us. No, we should let God decide what to think for us. But typically, the wisdom of this age, the opinions of the world, the rulers, the people who are influential, they are the people who we let influence us. They certainly influence the Corinthians, and we are no different. We are so influenced by the wisdom of this age and the rulers of this age. We are influenced by rulers, politicians, philosophies, ideologies, celebrities. We're influenced by athletes, teachers, movies, books, media, our culture, our circumstances, our feelings, and our desires. And look, there's nothing wrong with being influenced by those things. How could you not be influenced by those things? But they should not be our ultimate authority on how to live. And yet for many of us, that is the ultimate authority on how to live. But what do all of these things have in common that I just listed out? What do they all have in common? They're always changing. Politicians, look at what they said 10 years ago. It's different. Movies, how are they always changing? Well, go watch a movie 50 years ago. You'll laugh. You'll say, what? I can't believe they said that, did that, thought that. Go read a book from 50 years ago. It's very different. Ideas, views, people's beliefs, they're always changing. They're always, if something's always changing, is it reliable to build your life on it? No. 
No, if something's always changing, it's not reliable ground to stand on. And when Jesus talked about what it looks like to be a wise person, what did he say? Well, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 29, Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. <clears throat> but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying the world's wisdom is always changing, so it's unreliable. The world's wisdom, its thoughts, its opinions are like sand. If you build your life on it, storms are going to come. Rain is going to come. Winds are going to come. And you're not going to be able to stand because your foundation is always changing. It's sand. But what does Jesus say about his words? What does he say about God's thoughts? He says, it is solid rock. It was true yesterday. It's true today, and it'll still be true tomorrow. In other words, it's reliable. It's always reliable. It stands the test of time. It doesn't go out of style like the world's wisdom does, like the ruler's of our age to. No, it's totally reliable. Now, why is the world's wisdom always changing? Why is it always changing? Because it's always guessing at what God already knows. Do you realize what they were so impressed with about Jesus? Of course they were impressed with his teaching, but it says they were also amazed that he spoke not as everybody else spoke, not as all their other teachers, but he spoke as one speaking with authority because all their other teachers said, I guess God says this. I guess God thinks this. I guess this is the way to go. Jesus said, no, this is the way to go. Why? Because Jesus is God in flesh and blood speaking to us directly. He's not someone saying, well, okay, I guess. No, he's saying, I know. And everybody else's views are always changing because they're guessing at what God already knows. But look, look what God says in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 through 9. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Look, if you live by the wisdom of this age and the rulers of this age, you're trying to bring God down to our level. But if you live by God's wisdom and God's thoughts, then you'll be allowing yourself to be raised up 
to God's thoughts and God's wisdom. And of course it won't always make sense to you what God says and what God thinks because he knows more than you. He has a much higher vantage point than you do. You can see a little, he can see everything. The things that God says, the things that God thinks when he reveals them to you, God's thoughts may not always make sense to you. Of course they don't. God's ways are higher than your ways, higher than your thoughts. And Paul says that they're foolish to the rest of the world that doesn't believe in him. But here's the good news. Even though you may not understand them, even though other people may consider them foolish, you can always, always, always trust them. You can always stand on them because they're reliable. What do we need? We need God's thoughts. Why do we need them? They're reliable. They're trustworthy. Great. How do we get it? How do we get God's thoughts? We'll look at verses 10 through 12. In verses 10 through 12, he says, These are the things, talking about God's wisdom, God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So, how do we receive God's thoughts? Well, He reveals them to us. How? By His Spirit. Who is the Spirit? It's Him. It's God. What is Paul saying? He's saying, God tells us Himself. If you want to know what God is thinking, you don't have to guess what He's thinking. Why? Because He's told us what He's thinking. He's made it clear to us. Paul says, the only way you can know what somebody is thinking is if they just outright tell you. And God has told us, the only way for you to know what someone is thinking is to do what? is to listen to what they say. One of my heroes, we all have heroes in our lives. One of my personal heroes is a guy named Eugene Peterson. I, I know y'all have heard of him because I've mentioned him before. You know, if you've ever looked at the message translation of the Bible, he wrote that translation of the Bible. When I was in seminary, I took a class based on his work. You know, he's somebody that I want to uh, He's a role model for me as a person, but also as a pastor. So anyways, I'd, I'm voracious when it comes to reading his stuff. I love learning about him. I love learning what he teaches. Uh, he died recently, a couple of years ago. So recently, uh, one of his close friends came out with a biography about him. So of course, for my birthday, that's what I got. I wanted to read that biography. So when you, know, when you read a biography, you of course see the highs of somebody's life, but you also see the lows of somebody's life that you may not have known about. And something I found out about Eugene Peterson that he didn't have a very good relationship with his dad. His dad wasn't mean, his dad wasn't abusive, his dad just wasn't there. He had a very absent father. His dad was a butcher and stayed busy day and night. He was obsessed with his work and so often the attention that Eugene craved from his dad, he didn't receive it from his dad. You know, Eugene was a great athlete in high school, 
but his dad never showed up to any of his sporting events. In the biography, talks about one day Eugene was walking with his dad. Some of his classmates said, Eugene, you killed it. You did awesome at that track meet. His dad, when they walked away, said, Eugene, what were they talking about? And Eugene was so upset that he just walked away. He, and Eugene said, when, when I become a dad, I will be different. I won't be like my dad. I'll be there for my kids. I'll give them the attention that they crave. So, of course, Eugene got married. He had three kids, and he became a pastor. And what happened? He found that the job, the work of being a pastor was all-consuming. He was obsessed with serving the church. And so often he had to miss meals with his family, even to the point where he talked to his church about, hey, I'm missing meals with my family. I'm missing out on time with my family. And his kids, they craved their dad's attention, but they were sad because they felt like they're not getting enough of their dad's attention. And without knowing it, Eugene was doing to his kids what his dad did to them. And one of his kids, Eric, grew up to become an ordained minister like his dad, but he vocalized, he voiced that he was sad because he didn't feel like he got the attention that he wanted from his dad. And his therapist encouraged him to write about that, and so he did. He said, it seems that I resent dad putting so much energy into birthing Christ our King Church rather than parenting me. The church and I were born the same year, and there was sibling rivalry at work, each fighting for parental affection. It seems ironic to me that I would, 27 years later, embrace the church with vows of ordination, that same church which for so long got to take cuts to the front of the line. Now, of course, he felt like he didn't get enough attention from his dad, but he still had very good memories with his dad. But even when talking about those memories, he said, something's not right. Why can't I recall such good memories without wanting to cry? Was it because it happened so late in our relationship? Was it because I was scheduled on his appointment calendar? Or does it have to do with the timing and circumstances of how and when our friendship really blossomed? Because when I met with him on his turf, ministry and faith issues, we suddenly became very close. At no other time in my life was he as involved with me. I loved my dad. I'm proud of him, proud of who he is, what he's done, and proud to be his son, but that's not the point. The point is that I am missing something in my life because he didn't give it to me, and I need to learn how to recover it, or at least how to resolve the conflict that I am experiencing. Now, several months later after writing that, Eric wrote a letter to his dad outlining his hurt. And during a hike, Eugene and Eric sat atop a mountain, and Eric nervously unfolded the paper, and through tears and having to pause often to regain composure, Eric read the hard words, and when he finished, Eugene looked at his son, eyes moist, and said, I'm so sorry, Eric. I didn't realize how much I've done to you what my dad did to me. I'm so sorry. Now look, Eugene couldn't know Eric's thoughts until Eric shared them with him. But what I want you to see from that is when he shared them with him, what did Eugene do? He listened. He listened. 
And because he listened, look, the thoughts inside of Eric could go into Eugene. Eric's thoughts could become Eugene's thoughts when Eric vocalized them and Eugene listened to them. And the same is true for us with God. How can we have God's thoughts? Well, he reveals his thoughts to us and we receive them by listening to them. Look, Eric wrote his dad a letter. God has written us 66 letters. God has shared his thoughts with us. What do we need to do? Listen. We need to listen to God. Look at what Paul, Paul in verse 13, he says, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Paul didn't realize it when he was writing this, but what was he doing when he wrote this? He was writing Scripture. And he didn't say, we're just writing our own human opinions. No, he said, we're writing what God has said, what God has thought, what God has vocalized to us. Look, the value of Spirit-taught words is that they are spirit thought words. We have the thoughts of God here. God speaks to us. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? You know, when God speaks to you, when you read scripture, are you listening? Maybe God's saying something to you during the sermon right now. Are you listening? Maybe God speaks to you and says something to you while we're worshiping. Are you listening? Maybe God says something to you while you're praying. Are you listening? Maybe God's saying something that you kind of would rather him not say. That's kind of hard to hear, God. Are you covering up your ears? Or are you saying, God, you know what's best. You're wise. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Whatever you tell me, for my good. You love me. You care about me. Are you listening to him? A lot of people, thousands of people, heard Jesus when he spoke, but not many people listened to him. The same is true today. Thousands, millions of people hear Jesus. Not many people listen to him. His thoughts cannot become your thoughts until you listen to them, take them in, and receive them. And only when you take God's words into you can his thoughts become your thoughts. So we see what we need. What do we need? God's thoughts. Why do we need them? They're totally reliable. They're totally trustworthy. How do we get them? God reveals them to us. We listen and we take them in. So in order for us to know God's thoughts, he has to tell us. He has to communicate it with us. But how has he told us? How has he communicated his thoughts to us? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is how he has done that. Look at what Paul says in the last verse we're looking at. Verse 16. Paul says, Who has known the mind of the Lord? How can we possibly know what God is thinking? Well, we have the mind of Christ. Who has known the mind of the Lord? We have the mind of Christ. 
He says, we know the mind of God because we have the mind of God in Christ. Why? Why does this matter? What does this mean? Why is it so important that we would have the mind of Christ? In other words, why would it be so important that Jesus Christ is what we think? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the chapter we're looking at, the very first two verses, what does he say? He says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Look, we're talking today about what to think. What should we think? What should be, what should be the source of all our thoughts? What should be the engine that drives our thoughts? What should be the filter with which all of our thoughts go through? Well, Paul says, for me, it's nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is what I think. And that's what he's calling us to think. Why? Why? Well, think about it. In Jesus, what do we have? What do we see? In Jesus, we have the thoughts of God. In Jesus, we see the thoughts of God putting on flesh and blood and bone with a mouth, with a tongue, with vocal cords. That's Jesus. God's thoughts, God's wisdom. Paul, just in the previous chapter, in chapter 1, verse 24, what does he call Jesus? He says, Christ is the wisdom of God. In other words, Christ is the thoughts of God. Christ is the insight of God. But notice, he didn't just say, I resolved to know only Jesus. He said, I resolved to know only Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why would he add that last part? Why would he say, I resolved to know only Jesus Christ and him crucified? Because in Jesus, you see the thoughts of God. But in Jesus Christ, crucified, you see what God thinks about you. Do you realize that? It's one thing to see what God thinks. It's an entirely different thing to see what God thinks about you. When you see Jesus Christ crucified for you, what does that tell you about you? It tells you what he thinks about you. It tells you how highly he thinks of you. It tells you how much he thinks of you. What did Jesus say? He said, God so loved you, the world, that he did what? He gave up his only son so that you won't die forever, but so that you will live forever. That's how much you mean to him. That's your worth to him, his son Jesus. What does that communicate to you? What does that tell you? It tells you that God loves you. And Paul said, when I came to you, I resolved to know nothing except God and his love for me. That's what dominated my mind. That's what I think. That's what I thought. And when your thoughts are dominated by God's love for you, your mind can be transformed and renewed. Sorrow can become joy, bitterness can become gratitude, despair can become hope, worry can become worship, hate can become love, doubt can become belief, anxiety can become peace, darkness can become 
light. When you see in Jesus that you are what God thinks about, only then can God become what you think about. And look, when you think what this world thinks about, you won't be able to see, hear, or think past what this world sees, hears, and thinks past. You won't. But when you look to Jesus and he becomes what you think about, you can say, along with Paul, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has ever conceived or comprehended the things God has prepared for those who love him. Let's pray. Lord, we can't know what you're thinking unless you tell us. And yet, Lord, there's not enough hours in the day to read the entire Bible. God, you lavished us with your thoughts. And if that wasn't enough to have the words of God, we have in your son Jesus the word of God, the ultimate revelation of who you are and what you think about us. God, in Jesus, we see your thoughts and we see your love, your care, your kindness, your compassion. And God, it looks like foolishness to the rest of the world, but to us who have your spirit, it's the most beautiful thing we'll ever see. Thank you, thank you for filling our minds with your mind, letting us think what you think, Lord. I pray that our mind wouldn't be dominated by the things of this world, by what the enemy says, but that our mind would be dominated by what you say, by your thoughts. They stand the test of time. They stand forever. They never let us down. They never fail us. Please let us fill our minds with the things of God. Keep our eyes on you. Keep our minds on you. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your great, great, great love for us. We celebrate it today, and God, we relish it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.